So, Steve. Richard. Do we want to talk about the elephant in the room? That's mean. I've gained uh, a little bit of weight. Come on. <laughs> you, you are the elephant. I love elephants, so you would be so lucky. No, I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm insulting you and then doubling down by saying it's a good thing, but you're not part of it. Look, I call it double reverse nagging, and it's how I <laughs> do so well. Sounds like a sex act that's banned in Amsterdam. No, no one knows what, whether I'm coming or going or what's happening. Before you know it, you're married to me. Oh, we all know when you're coming. <laughs> Look, again, off. You're, you're trying to distract me. Yeah. We did our first quiz. Yeah. Our first pub quiz night type thing. And in it, we asked, we did a survey of people beforehand when they're registering for the quiz. Yeah. We took a, some survey questions and then we used those questions kind of like in a family fortunes, family feud style round where people had to kind of guess what the prevailing wisdom was. One of those questions was who would win in a fight between you and I? Fight to the death. Fight to the death. Naked and greased. That was it. The, the rules were and still are fight to the death, improvised weapons only, um, both contestants are naked and slicked down with oil to minimize traction. Verbatim is what the, the literature said. And you won almost unanimously. I think you were 76% or something. That means Kate voted for me. Probably. Um, Most people voted that you would, you, you would and could, and maybe probably should kill me if it came to it. Yeah. Were you in doubt? I mean, okay, if we really had to think about it, like if we were to really sit down, you and I, and have a frank, no non-bullshit, no-joke conversation about it, I think maybe initially I could get the drop on you. Yeah. So I think, what because I think I've got more reach and I'm probably slightly faster. You got your yoga bendiness. I've got my yoga stretches bendiness. And I feel like maybe at initially, if it is a fight to the death and for some reason we've both been take, like we both perceive each other as a threat, mm. I think initially I could get the drop on you. But I think what would then happen is I have you on the ground, hands around your throat. I would look deep into your eyes, your puppy eyes, your lip would quiver. And I would have a montage flashback of all of our happy pod based memories set to some sort of um, particularly touching, maybe like Mm. indie acoustic song or something. And all these would flash in my eye and then I would loosen my grip and in that microsecond that briefest moment of weakness you would I'd stick my thumb in your eye yeah you would like dirt in my eye kick me in the nuts rupture my testicles and then just utterly destroy me no remorse no and i think that's what i think that's why you would win is because you have the heart of a killer is what i'm trying to say i would win because you're a better person than me is what you're trying to say and you're a dirtier fighter. And in this instance, that's what's important. And th- this is this is not a, a gentleman's duel. This is, um, I don't know what we're fighting over in this instance, but um, presumably you deserve it more. And you're fine with this, I guess. So now, now I'm wondering, where do we go from here as a podcast and as a nation? Like, what do the Irish people do now? That their two favourite sons <laughs> have, have had a rift torn between them. Well, I mean, what on politics, colon, civil war? <laughs> <laughs> what happens now? I give you a really old cell phone and then I just nod and I say, you'll know when it's needed. Right. 
which is now because we have to record an episode. That's true. Okay, so uh, what is what um, intros for new listeners? Um, well, they now know that there's a rift between us, so they know that much. I mean, I think you're just you're just annoyed that people think I'm a better fighter. Am I annoyed or am I annoyed is the question. And the answer <laughs> is yes to both. <laughs> yeah, I'm also the person they believe have drank more alcohol in my life. Yeah, that was another question. I do have a, co- I do have a couple of years on you. You do. And I, um, I do drink more than you. You do drink more than me, I would say. I think you're also capable of drinking more than me. Mm, but you do have a good superpower that nobody can tell when you're absolutely That's it. drunk. I, I would be completely annihilated and you wouldn't you wouldn't know about it at all mm, but that's after like um, three wine spritzers le, uh, sorry i should also wine spritzers. <laughs> please totally annihilated diet wine spritzers <laughs> <laughs> but slices of lemon it's yes oh, obviously i'm not a fucking neanderthal Stephen. i want my zest in there for god's sake um but yeah that's that's all i got going on yeah and the other question in that survey round was <laughs> <laughs> I really went to town on you. Of the two of us, uh, which one is more likely to be two aliens um, stacked on top of each other in a human skin suit? And I won that one. Resoundingly. Resoundingly won by losing or lost by winning, whichever way you want to say. But people <laughs> voted that I was more than likely to be two aliens. And I maintain it's because there's more vertical space. I'm taller, so there's more space to put in those two aliens. Uh-huh. Maybe that's the only reason, as opposed to my mannerisms and general vibe. <laughs> and for people that haven't seen what Richie looks like, his big alien head. That too. They're they're on to us. <laughs> <laughs> they found out, they found Gleeblorb out. <laughs> Gleeblorb to Mothership, Gleeblorb to Mothership. Ab- abandoned Project Hugger. Okay, so look. We just came here for love. This is a podcast about politics. I'm, this is a podcast about politics hosted by me, Steve, and... I'm Gleeblorp the Alien. <laughs> Steve the cold-hearted killer and Gleeblorp the Alien from a planet that just wants to hug her. That's who we are. But no, yes, politics podcast um, that talks about politics and nothing else. Nothing else ever. Uh, yeah. Uh, and do you want to start off by talking about political news? Uh, no, first of all, we should congratulate other Richie. Fuck. Ranchi. So bad at this. So we should, as we mentioned, we did our first quiz. We'll probably end up doing another one. We haven't talked about this ourselves, but I guess we'll do another one. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. In a couple of weeks. At, at some point, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we want to congratulate the winner of our quiz, um, Richie, not me, a different Richie, an other Richie. Richie Walsh. Who I christened Ronchi so as to avoid confusion during the stream. So um, Richie won, uh, and as a prize, he got a certificate. Uh, which I <laughs> a certificate that I designed that I labelled uh, congratulations other Richie parentheses raunchy and he now has it up as his desktop background he does and I also made the people a participation certificate that someone yes. had printed before the end of the Zoom call <laughs> that was incredible that was good like we, I, I sent out that link because we're all millennial snowflakes and we need participation trophies so I sent out while we were calculating the, the scores I sent out just a JPEG over the chat and in the time it took to calculate the score, someone had it printed out already. <laughs> it did take a long time to calculate the scores, though, in fairness. It did take a long time. We need to work on that system. Uh, that's my own fault. But we are, you know, not a well-oiled machine by any means. I'm a fuck. I'm two, I'm two aliens in a skin suit, for God's sake. Cut me some slack. And I'm a greased-up naked murderer. <laughs> that's who's it. drunk. 
But you know what? We're doing our best. Original odd couple. Um, follow us on Twitter or Instagram to find out about our next quiz because we are not going to plan it with enough advance to tell you about it on the podcast. No, not like we didn't mention anything about this one on the podcast. No. It was just like a fucking you you met you texted me out of the blue. You were probably drunk. I'm always drunk. It's a given. Or, a ki- or naked after killing a man, and uh, it had a, a moment of lucidity in which you came up with this idea, as per usual. Now, will we talk about the news? Yeah. What we talk about first? We talk about. Should we talk about the Labour leadership change? Because that happened a month ago. That happened a long time ago. We've recorded a few times since, and we've been too caught up by not talking about COVID that we forgot to talk about this. Yeah. So we should probably talk about this now. It's quite important. Um, it's quite important. It's not really news anymore. It's just general, it's just something that did happen at some point and it will have a big effect. It's just that everyone's focusing on COVID right now. But there's been a Labour leadership change. There, was. there was a month ago. <laughs> we all, yeah. So after the devastating uh, defeat of the Labour Party in the general election last year, uh, we all knew this was going to come. Oh, Jeremy Corbyn lost really badly. Yeah, that's it. Um, so there's going to have to be a change of leadership and that came now in the form of uh, Keir Starmer, which when I see it written down, I want to pronounce it Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer. It just sounds more pleasant. <laughs> it sounds more pleasing than Keir Starmer. 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 Keir Starmer. Sir Keir Starmer. Sir Keir Starmer. Sir Keir Starmer. You know, it sounds like a circus hammer. <laughs> He's getting off to a great start. He is. Circus Hammer's doing very well, so he won the, la- <laughs> the, the Labour leadership race on the 4th of April, uh, and thus that makes him the head of the opposition to the current government. Uh, if you know his name, it's pro- like if his name sounds familiar, it's probably because uh, of his involvement in Brexit. He was the uh, Brexit Shadow Secretary, starting in late 2016, so you would have heard his name a lot right back around then. Sir Kirstermer, 20... You would have heard about the Brexit Circus Harmer a lot in late 2016, because yeah. uh, he was a very vocal... Um, well-spoken. Opposi- yeah, well-spoken, coming out against uh, Tory government, talking about how we need more transparency over the deal, yada, yada, yada. So you would have heard of him a lot. Uh, he was a Remainer, advocate for a second referendum. He uh, describes himself as a socialist... Although we'll talk a little bit more on that because I have some thoughts after doing some digging around. Um, he was elected MP for Holborn and St. Pancras back in 2015. So he's not, you know, he's newish, shall we say. He's like fresh enough-ish. In the yeah, scheme but of things. I don't think he was a nobody before he got elected. I think he was like a f- famous no, he's barrister a very, or something. Yeah, he was a very, prol- he did a lot of um, kind of humanitarian causes. He was a very prolific barrister for some big high profile cases. Um, so he wasn't inexperienced by any means, definitely more experienced than either of us. Um, or maybe one of the aliens in me would have a leg up in him, but definitely not the other one. But I was digging around through some old interviews with him just to kind of plot him on the, because the, all I really knew of him was, like I said, the, the Brexit stuff. Um, but to kind of plot him on the ideological spectrum just to see, because the Labour Party is so, um, there's so many factions to it all the way from like your soft lefts or um, your centrist all the way out to your more militant left. I want to try and plot him somewhere on there. But I couldn't, like he's, he is quite centrary left, but his, all of his, um, his interviews and his messaging um, since the defeat, the Labour defeat last year has been around like unity and around bringing people together. He doesn't seem to want to take any particularly hard stance within one faction. He doesn't want to kind of align himself too closely with any one faction, presumably because he's just fed up as a lot of people are with all of the infighting and the lack of certainty around all the different sects. Now as a new leader, it seems like it's his job to rally everyone, bring them together and kind of give them one flag to march under. So he isn't really... 
he seems basically he seems like a really safe standard mm. bet from everything I've looked at. Nothing too extreme about him. Nothing too out there. All of his stuff right now, as you would expect, is around COVID nineteen and how we should be supporting the NHS, doing more tests, all the stuff you would suspect. There hasn't been anything kind of particularly um, cutting edge coming from him, which makes him a little bit of a question mark in my mind. But one interesting thing he's doing now, he's doing a virtual tour of the North because Labour lost so badly in the North during the general election. How do you do a vir- What are they like projecting him on the side of houses? <laughs> You're going to look outside your window, Keir Starmer's head is like, uh. Yeah, he's doing a virtual tour. I was like, oh, is it? They put like an iPad on the Segway and he's just like whirring <laughs> around rural <laughs> roads, stopping outside pubs and stuff um well pubs are closed well that's it well that's well he doesn't know he's just a robot bro <laughs> robot he's just, <laughs> um he's doing his best but yeah though no, he's just having a bunch of zoom calls with um different constituents in, in areas that uh that labor lost to the tories in during the last general election so do you think he's going to be a good follow-up to jeremy I think he's he'll be a more stable follow-up to Jeremy. I think he had a lot of criticisms on um, how Corbyn handled the last general election around like a lack of clarity. He he has a very kind of strong position on how Brexit should go, mm. having been Shadow Secretary of it, I guess you have to, whereas Corbyn was famously kind of standoffish about the whole thing. Very faffy. Yeah, exactly, whereas this guy wasn't. Um, and like I said, his priority now seems to be kind of unifying everyone, which I guess coming out of such a huge defeat that's that's step one it's going to be hard yeah. um, the Labour Party is not a unified unit it is many factions of people that really don't like each other no they love infighting yeah. it's like um, is that a trend among like more uh, like you see a similar thing in Democratic Party it, yeah, in the States it's a left it's a left wing thing they usually end up eating each other before they have a chance to actually take the, ba- the, the bad guys quote unquote the, the, cent- the centre is conservatives yeah. um, I, I think the best analogy always is and was the the different groups in Monty Python's The Life of Brian like the People's Front of Judea oh, versus right. the, the Judean, Judean People's, People's Front, Front. Yeah. the popular front he's over there <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. like yeah they yeah. always find a reason not to like each other to tear each other apart It's it was yeah. the same in Ireland there was lots of different versions of the Labour Party the Democratic Left blah 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 all those ones yeah. and yeah it was like Labour UK are not immune to it mm. they had a bit of a they had a bit of it like a, like when, when Jeremy, when, not Jeremy, when Tony Blair dominated, it was really, they were unified on policy and ideology, but they still split up based on who, which leader they like more, Brown or Blair. Mm. And then, then it became like, are you a, like, are you part of that old new, new labor wing, <laughs> old new labor? And yeah. now it's, are you a centrist or a Corbynite? Yeah. And Keir Starmer is probably... A centrist. He's yeah. Looking at his history, he's more of a centrist, like soft left. Is what but people he was, said. He did work with Jeremy for yeah, a long time. Absolutely, and I think, like I said, if if their goal is to bring people together and kind of then and win an from there, yeah, heaven forbid. <laughs> that seems like that's what the, <laughs> that's what their plan is. So who's to say? I'm also interested to see once like the COVID nineteen stuff peters out a little bit, like what his opposition framework is going to be in terms of like criticizing the like the shit show that was the start of this whole process mm. like I think that's going to be a big defining moment for him as well um, so we'll see how that goes but yeah time will tell he also what do you want to talk about well just to say as well he also hasn't really had a chance to attack the up the his opposition or sorry yeah his opposition the, the yeah. prime minister because he nearly died <laughs> well that's so it it's yeah. not going to be good to go you're shit, shit you coughing dying bastard 
Turns out Kerr Stammer style is kick them while they're down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Steve style. The Steve, yeah, there you go. Um, uh, what are you going to talk about? Briefly mentioned that Ireland still doesn't have a proper government. We still have our caretaker government after an election three months ago now, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are crawling towards one with the Green Party deciding if they should s- start thinking about deciding to join. <laughs> <laughs> and what? Are there any telltale signs currently in their thinking to start thinking process? Like where? Yeah, the, the, uh, this is this is quite similar. Actually, you would have a lot of hardcore lefty greenies who do not want jump into bed with the conventional Finnegale Fianna Fáil parties, and then you would have because yeah, it worked so well in the past. Exactly because they did do it before and they got annihilated when things went bad. But the a lot of the guys who were involved back then are still involved now, and they have a lot of more moderate century people who'd be more willing to compromise to get into power. Yeah. So it's kind of a battle between who's going to win out and that. Honestly, I do think they will end up going into government with strong demands, which they may not have had last time. Yeah. And if it doesn't go well, they would use that as a basis to quit. So, yeah, yeah I, th- I I would like, I, I would like to see them step up. Me too. Um, if, if even just to temper what we've already had. Well, you know, pull them over a little bit more to the left. Yeah, they're asking for some very specific, achievable 7% carbon emissions in a certain amount of years and then also redirecting 20% of public funding towards tra- transportation on walking and bikes. So that is something you could say yeah. as being a good thing if they get it done. Yeah, great. But it, it might not happen. Do you? I like bikes. I, I, t- I went for a cycle yesterday. I don't like bikes. No, I don't like it. Is it the chafing? Uh, part of it's the chafing. Part of it's also having gotten knocked off my bike by a white van, a white van man. No. Okay, I I also have a white van bike knockover story. You tell yours first. Uh, I was going past a busy intersection near the college we went to, DCU, and mm. there was a guy decided to skip the traffic by turning right, turning left via another row of traffic. So he like cut through, didn't see me on the inside, mm. clipped the back. I fell off. I got it wasn't bad, but it scared me. I got back on, cycled a bit, and then this uh, a people carrier with a little Filipino man and a nun pulled over to ask if I was okay. Oh, what's their story? Well, I presume it was it. And did they adopt you and you you now live in a sitcom? Well, why do you always wonder why I wear this habit? You know? That's true. That's Not just true. out of habit. Oh, my, my van bike story was I had just gotten a brand new gorgeous bike uh, as part of the bike to work scheme that a lot of companies were doing at the time. And I got it off a, a bike shop on Parnell Street. All brand shiny new. I cycled it. I was cycling it out of the shop, literally out the front doors onto the street to cycle home because I was a short distance away from there. And I was chuffed to bits of a brand new bike. I cycled a little bit, still within eye shot, uh, um, seeing eye distance of the, the, the bike shop to the Tesco was there on Parnell Street. And I stopped behind a white van that had pulled into the cycle lane to stop temporarily with some emergency lights on to drop something into the Tesco. And I was just stuck behind it because um, it had stopped all of a sudden so I, I was immediately right behind it and I presu- guess I was in its blind spot because when it eventually went to leave it started reversing <laughs> and slowly reversed into me ah. and because it was happening really slowly he very slowly knocked me off my bike because I, wa- I was like looking down at my brand new bike at the time and I looked up and all of a sudden there was van was pushing my front wheel and it knocked me over very slowly kind of pushed me over and I'm falling down like this and I'm slapping on the side of the, the back of the door and a pedestrian went up to the window and like shouted in at the guy that hey you're very slowly running over this gangly pale kid back there and uh, then I had to get up and cycle back to the shop to make sure it was okay because it 
the front wheel had gotten kind of stuck under the van and <laughs> scraped a bit. And apparently um, the bike owners had seen the whole thing happen. Say so like wave goodbye to me as I'd cycled out or the bike shop owners. They waved goodbye to me as I was cycling out and saw me stop and slowly get run over by this van. <laughs> so they were waiting for me when I came back. Was that the same day that the, your neighbours threw squash at you? Oh no, that was a different day. There was a, that was a bunch of rowdy kids. Yeah. Uh, that same route home um, later on on that bike a bunch of kids who were on the roof of a church threw a butternut squash at me. They were on the church. <laughs> they were on to, the church, yeah. yeah, yeah like, Richie lived in 1930s Dublin. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of here, yeah, bowsy. Uh, <laughs> but they had access to butternut squash apparently. Yeah, and hit my knee and exploded. I thought my knee exploded for a brief second. <laughs> <laughs> Which of course we anyway. all know knees are full of butternut squash. That's it. A- 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 our, my alien oh, species true, yeah. is. <laughs> Leap Glorp, his head went. Anyway. <laughs> No, it's Gleep is the bottom alien and Glorp is the right. top alien. Um, 2020 presidential race is something we haven't talked about. But in fairness, we haven't talked about this one because not much has been happening. Presumably because of the, the pandemic. Yeah. So um, Sanders has dropped out. Biden is the Democratic nominee, presumptive until he gets confirmed by the convention, which they still haven't figured Ooh. out how it's going to happen. But uh, something has come up recently. Joe Biden has been accused of sexual assault mm-hmm. by a former Senate worker. Um, she says it happened in 93. And he has been ignoring it for quite a while, um, about a month. But he finally did a long interview remotely on MSNBC and denies that it happened. But while also still trying to explain that it's okay for women to accuse men of sexual assault. And we should try and give the victims as much um, care and attention and empathy as we can. But he definitely didn't Mm -hmm. do it, he says. Right. So it's a tricky one. It is. Now you have to choose between two sex pests. That's the thing. Yeah. Well, you got one who is recorded on tape as saying, grab him by the pussy. Yeah. Accused by over 20 women. This is one thing, like, I mean, how do you even talk about it properly? I mean, I I don't think we'll ever be able to address whether it happened or not. So, I don't know. It's a shit situation. Maybe we should stop choosing old, crockety dudes to run for presidential elections. Old, crockety white men. Mm. Anyway, maybe let's talk about something more hopeful. Oh, well, I like free money. Yeah, me too. Let's talk about Ubi. Ubi. <laughs> well, this we we went through this when we did our What Amtopia episode. We're going to talk about universal basic income. It's not going to be as good as your idea. Uh, well, I had two. I had well, we talked about universal basic in- income on What Amtopia, but then I talked about universal advancing, which is obviously the way which to is go. What our, which is obviously the way to go, which is to say everyone gets the cryptocurrency of our own creation, Wapcoin. Yes, and they get a hundred of them. Who knows. Every every day, week, month, it varies, Seconds. it fluctuates, and also the value uh, the value of the currency fluctuates rapidly depending on the whims we said of was it an octopus? It was an octopus distributing him. <laughs> yeah, depending on the whims of just some animal, depending on what pebbles it picked up or some shit that would dictate the cost. But you know that is a little bit that's further down the line. We'll get there eventually. But for now, we got to start with Ubi. Or UBI, or as no one calls it, <laughs> universal basic income. No one calls it Obi, but maybe they will. No, they won't. Don't <laughs> encourage that. It's awful. Um, Obi, it sounds so lovely. <laughs> Let's move on. So, Steve, what am UBI or universal basic income? Even as a definition, it's a little bit controversial because I guess it doesn't exist in any solid form yet. It's still a concept. Essentially, it is an idea that people, citizens of countries, will get paid on a regular basis with no catches and no way to take it off them. Right. So this isn't like. 
your sta- normal standard welfare that we've seen in the past that kind of would more traditionally come with Yeah, so most welfare systems in the West certainly are uh, means-tested and needs-based. So if you're poor or you fall down on hard times in terms of your work situation, you will get given money by the government to keep surviving. This is something totally different. This should be paid to everybody regardless of the circumstances. Um, it would Usually most of the time they say it should start when you're an adult so at the age of 18, for, you will get paid a certain amount. Most people propose that it's enough to live on basically, not necessarily comfortably, but basically. So yeah. for example, in the US, it would be $1,000 a month, $12,000 a year. It would be paid to you with no strings attached every month right. for you to do of do with as you wish. Okay. And so where did this idea come from? Because it seems like a radical enough idea. Like you say, it's not, it's, it's more of a concept yeah. right now. There's only small examples of it, but where, where's his um, origins? It's quite complicated to even nail that down. I mean, Thomas Paine, the philosopher from way back when, he would have been talking about something like this. Yeah, other, like, sorry, Thomas More, I think he was around in Henry VIII's time. Um, he was talking about this kind of idea of a basic payment made to all citizens so they can live happy lives. Even the Labour Party in the UK toyed with it after World War II when they were trying to decide on how to help people, help the poorest people in society. They went for the welfare system that was mm. anyway, and that kind of got built up as a basic thing. Um, even in the 70s, Nixon and Carter were talking about it, this idea of payments to people. But it, like the, pre- the presidential administrations brought it forward, but they got thrown away by Congress. I think around the late 80s, it started to become a proper concept of what it is today. Um, there's an organization called BN, which is nice because that means well in French, oh. which is like the basic income... Uh, European network, but I think it's actually everyone network now. Right. <laughs> so they're, they're economists, policymakers, those kind of people who think that this will be the best way forward for um, the future of humanity, basically. Mm-hmm. And then I guess as technology has developed in the last couple of years, Silicon Valley have been big in pushing it um, because the idea of robots are going to come and take our jobs and we're going to have to figure out a way to preempt that in terms of making sure we don't have Billions of unhappy people with no money or ways to live. Yeah. I think when I first became aware of UBI, it was through the context of automation. Like Again, from when I was working in Silicon Valley, we were right next to Google who were test driving the self-driving cars. Mm. And um, Uber as well were also te- test driving self-driving cars around the same time. And Uber were always very clear about their ultimate goal was to make a network of self-driving cars and that the drivers, the human meat drivers were kind of a meat means drivers. to an end. <laughs> you know what I mean? To like get the company yeah. going, establish it as a as a taxi service, get the data first and foremost as well that they, they would need to kind of fuel the algorithm and stuff and then slowly start replacing them with robots. And that's the ultimate goal. And in a world where so much stuff, even things like basic things like driving are replaced with, with automation, what are people going to live on? UBI. Ubi, exactly. Well, but see, where does this money come from? Um, me, you, yeah. Well, as a taxpayer, yeah. <laughs> oh, just you. Okay. Thanks. So thank, taxes, th- and everyone's going to have to say thanks, Richie. Like you're welcome. <laughs> uh, yes, the most common thing is taxes. Um, we, we should talk briefly. So that's that automation one that you're talking about. That would be. That would be like that's that's a way to replace the welfare system as it would be. So these people obviously are going to be made unemployed when the technology comes and some proponents of UBI would like to see it replace the welfare system. 
So rather than people being entitled to certain benefits, everyone will just get this flat rate and then the welfare system can be wound down because they won't need it anymore. Right. That's what the idea is. So that would be kind of like a right-wingy economist's way of thinking about it. So costs would be saved by taking apart the old yes. welfare system and using that cleared funding to rebuild this. Yes. Okay. And there are advantages to that because as the welfare system exists, there's got a lot of problems. Um, it kind of it has a tendency to trap people into it. So like if you're receiving these payments and these benefits and you're out of work and you want to get back into work, there's usually massive hurdles to cross to do that. And then also you might end up working, but not making as much money as you would have if you weren't because they're means tested yeah. and after a certain period you don't get it. Yeah. So the idea that UBI would actually incentivize working extra to gain more money on top of what you're already getting to live. Yeah. Some people criticize the current welfare system that like just say you're earning a thousand a month if you earned a thousand and one, you lose it. You lose it. So you end up then earning that one extra pound a yeah. year or whatever costs you way more so, than that pound a year. Sorry, you mean like if you're getting paid a thousand and one per month? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, if you're getting that from, yeah. yeah, yeah, it wouldn't work. And so that actually ends up like some kind of partial welfare system encourage more passive behavior rather than maybe this universal basic income, which has no strings attached, might encourage you to go do other So there stuff. will be parts. If UBI was rolled out in a nation, there would be parts of the welfare system that would get wound down. I think most of the best proponents of it, the ones I like, therefore the best, are, <laughs> are not wanting to rule out the welfare system as a whole because some people will still need more help sure. from the state to yeah. to live productive and happy lives. Um, but even just, yeah, things like the basic job seekers dole that people get, maybe that won't be needed anymore because this will be subsided by UBI. Mm. Um, on a more general basis... It is a cliche, but it is also true that the highest earners do not pay a proportionate rate of tax as it stands in the world. Mm -hmm. Like I pay 20% of most of my tax and 40% after a certain amount. If I made a million euros, I could pay some, I could pay an accountant to stop that from happening anymore. So mm. if we start to close down those loopholes and, loopholes and start to get the mega rich to pay, mm -hmm. then that's some tax money that could be used to help pay for a UBI. Yeah. And then also some people say that the UBI itself will generate GDP. This so new, it'll boost the economy. It'll boost the economy and then, in a tricky way, pay for itself. Right, because a, a more active economy yeah. produces more taxes. Yes, yeah. yeah, cyclical in nature. Yeah, yeah, but that idea is usually used to justify massive tax breaks that don't usually end up proving that to be the case. Right, but, it goes against your earlier point of trying to tax yeah. people fairly. Personally, this is the Steve policy. I think you should just fucking do it because money is always found for other things. So why not this? That's it. I mean, like now as well, we're seeing that we're seeing this trend towards more kind of socially uh, measures to combat COVID-19. Like the government here in the UK doing the furlough measure like that's they, they're, you know, rechanneling a huge amount of money, like 80 percent of people's paychecks are being paid. Billions by the government. Um, so yeah, you find the money from somewhere if, you know, we're in a time of crisis, but you could argue that th this was always going to happen. Yeah, we're building up to a time of crisis, so let's try and nip it in the Ex bud before it happens. Exactly. Another thing that a uh, method of paying for it that I quite like is robot taxes. To go back mm. to the earlier thing of automation, the idea that um, companies, if they are availing of like new technologies that displace a lot of workers, well then you tax those robots accordingly. So if you've got some new production line thing that's replacing, you know, 20 people, then you're taxed out at a higher rate than something that's maybe replacing five and so on and so forth. Same with like algorithms that are doing away with people like finding out a system where you tax these algorithms and means of automation. 
same way you would tax a person. That could have unintended consequences of slowing down um, the, the, Progress. the development of these robots, but that may not necessarily be a bad thing. Yeah. I mean, it may, it, it may give society a chance to catch up with the changes that are coming. Mm-hmm. If, you know, there's less incentive to rush these things through, well, then maybe that'll be a good thing too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think just fucking pay for it. We got the money for the bailout back in 2008. So yeah, we can do it. Look down your couch, government. There's some money there. There's a fu- there's that five billion you left. Uh, would it actually make poor people poorer? This is something I've heard, like a criticism leveled at uh, this kind of conversation. Going back to our What Amtopia episode, I think Peter Kavanagh, who, uh, according to the quiz we just had, the people also think is most likely to become Taoiseach. Yeah, out of all of our previous guests, he won most likely to become President Taoiseach Prime Minister. So, And in fact, all three you, in Peter's case, because he's that <laughs> rad. Um, he, Triple Crown, he, they called him. He used two um, examples from science fiction, which I'm going to quote again because it's awesome. Um, mm-hmm. You had Basic, which are the payments given to everybody in the world of the Expanse TV series and books. And then you had the post-scarcity system that they use in Star Trek for the Federation. Um, one being good, which is the Star Trek one, because it helps people live happy and full lives and the other one being bad the basic um, income that they use in the expanse which basically just locks poor people into poor being poor and rich people continue to be rich and get richer so so there is a chance that it could be used as essentially as a trick by the ruling classes as like you know the breads and circuses of the Roman days another way for them to lock the system in place and maybe even expand on their own wealth so I guess that's something that people need to be cautious and aware of as we're developing it it can't just be another way to put to keep people down it has to be a stepping stone to a better world but those are incredibly complex questions that i don't have the ability to answer on this podcast or perhaps or or perhaps any podcast (laughs) do we need to start a new podcast to get these answers (laughs) yeah it'd be like the length of a fucking joe rogan episode yeah speaking of like other criticisms for ubi because like i you can tell that we're both fans of it but it is important to kind of talk about what people, what the detractors are saying. What are some of the other problems? Like the idea of giving, this would give government more power, right? Which I know a lot of people aren't fans of in general. Like putting this amount of power into the hands of government would require a lot of consolidation of different programs and giving the keys of that power over to the government. to the state apparatus as it is. Um, Mm. I, I, in our notes, I put down another one. That, this is communism and it's going to turn the frogs gay. Well, obviously, Steve, the co- of course the frogs are going to be gay. Yeah. So if you have a dis- uh, an inherent dislike of government anyway, you're not going to like this. But then you also, and then the people that aren't upset with government as a concept should be aware that there are potential dangers and that there should be the same kind of transparency and openness put into this program as there would be any kind of government scheme. But yeah, and also just, I think a pretty dangerous one would be if you had the equivalent of like Donald Trump the third rising up saying, I'm going to double your UBI without any proper economic basis. It could be used by populists mm. to exploit the, the, the democratic elect, electoral system that we have because people, that is interesting. people like voting for nice things. So if you're, yeah, and this is a very tantalizing how you're going to pay for it. I mean, granted, we we shouldn't assume that voters are stupid. I mean, some of the criticism labeled at Jeremy Corbyn is that they had a massive stream of plans of how to spend money, but weren't really justifying how they were going to pay for it. And so then I guess people, people made the decision that they didn't necessarily believe that he could bring forward these changes. 
But if you had someone who was more inclined to be a dirty liar and was using other means to get popular, they could just say, oh yeah, I'm going to double it and then get into power and double it without actually thinking about how, yeah, what the consequences of it are and how that will be paid for then yeah. as well. Because it's a very simple thing. To, it's complicated in some ways, but the idea of like, you get this much money every month is a, is a simple end product and to tell someone I'm going to double that is a powerful fucking I like incentive. free money I like twice as much free money Ooh. Ooh. universal advanced income we need to get WAP coin in as soon as possible another one is that it is universal it has to be paid the same to everybody regardless of circumstances one of those circumstances being where you live right. so if you lived in York which will be relevant in the interview in this episode mm-hmm. it will go a lot further if you get a pound off the government there than if you got a pound for you, Richie, in London. God damn it. <laughs> so that will have consequences of people probably dis- dispersing more outside the cities and that kind yeah. of things, which may sound like a, nece- a good idea, but then as we're moving towards wanting to reduce carbon emissions and things like that, maybe reducing the city sizes will not be a good thing. But anyway, these are all just the kind of things that you have to keep in mind as the as as the system rolls out yeah. and plays. It's almost like it's big and complicated. Why are we talking about it then? <laughs> um, oh yeah, there's another bad thing as well. Elon Musk likes it and that's not a good thing at the moment. Yeah, no, he's not. He's kind of fallen out of favor, hasn't he, with his weird fucking tweets. He's gone mad. Yeah, so he's, for people who don't know, um, he he tweeted out like free America, like free America already or something like that. Free America, Free America now. now, like the, again, the idea of the opposing the, the the lockdown measures and the quarantine measures that are you know rolled out everywhere, you know, for fucking good reason. He seemed to have been lending his voice to like the protests that have been going on by saying "Free America now," and people speculate it's because you know it, you know, he owns a lot of businesses and it'll affect. Yeah, his factories are not working as well as it could be. But then um, he tweeted out. I don't want to talk to. Tweeted out like. His stock prices. Yeah, are he tweeted out like, "Oh, Tesla stock prices are too high, if anything." And then they dropped. Fucking hell! But he got he got in trouble for doing that before. He tweeted that out something similar before, and there was actually insider trading case brought against him, mm. and he had to um, agree to have lawyers screen his t- tweets before he sent them. <laughs> so someone tweet, don't, lawyers screen these tweets? <laughs> I don't think so. I think no. he's going against that anyway. Mm. Um, but he likes UBI. He likes UBI again because he's going to be making people redundant in the future. That's the thing, man, Silicon Valley. This seems this like and speaking from experience here, it seems so like on the face of it so uh altruistic and for the greater good and everyone talks about wanting to make the world a better place, but there's like a fucking dystopian undertone to the whole thing that creeps up every so often. And I think more and more people yeah. become aware of it. Don't trust billionaires is usually a solid rule. It's pretty good. Billionaires are fine. Millionaires are fine. <laughs> I trust you. Yeah. I'm no wish. Um, <laughs> so UBI, uh, it's become more, it's become more zeitgeisty and more in vogue recently. Like one, we uh, like Andrew Yang talked, like ran a whole presidential campaign on it. Um, but also the idea of like COVID nineteen and and helping people out has brought up the idea of UBI and other kind of social measures. Do you want to talk a little bit about like what happened in the states or what's happening over here and like how is that going yeah. to further the conversation? We are going to talk a bit more about it later in the interview, but just to give some context, yeah, I mean, like um, we we are seeing a lot more state intervention in individual lives than we would have seen. So I guess t- talking about the 2008 bailout, that was a top-down bailout. That was a fuck ton of money given to the to the, to the banks and to the hedge fund and to the stock market. But sure it all trickled Whereas, down, Steve. None of it trickled down anywhere. The only <laughs> thing that trickled down was the piss off Elon Musk's fucking boot. He's just um, pissing in his boot, that man. That's disgusting. <laughs> they keep filling up and trickling everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, no, this is this 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 COVID 
intervention in the in the estate in the world economy is different because it does seem to be aimed a lot more towards the bottom. There are a lot more welfare payments being given to regular working folk and not not there are a lot made to corporations and companies as well, but at least we're not being forgotten as much this time. So yeah, that is that is sparking a lot of conversation. Um I'm not gonna give away too many things because we are gonna talk about this specifically mm-hmm. with someone who's in a valley that's not Silicon Valley. About time. Does York have valleys? Who's to say? The scientists have yet to figure it out. <laughs> None of the scientists have made it back, either because they got eaten or because it's too nice. Again, science has yet to figure out how the scientists haven't gotten back yet and whether there's valleys. We keep sending in the scientists. Well, look, just just out, a pile but... of scientists, maybe maybe in a valley somewhere. We don't know. Again, we don't have the information. Yes, so we got in touch with uh, Steve Thomas of the UBI lab in York. Mm-hmm. Can you remember what the first question we asked him was so we can have a nice segue into that? Mm, no. So, Steve, I'm going to quote you back at you. Okay. If that's all right, if you don't mind me doing that. It's nothing too salacious. Sounds like fun. Yeah. It's, I want to marry UBI. No, it's, uh, <laughs> I, see basic, I see basic income as a foundation of human freedom, which is the power to say no. And we were just wondering if you could elaborate on that last part, the power to say no. Yeah. If you're lucky enough to have a job, it might be precarious. You might rather do something else. You might rather not be working as hard as you're working or for the wages that you're working for, you'd maybe rather do a job that paid you better for fewer hours or under better circumstances. But if you leave work, basically, as the um, economist uh, Amartya Sen said about 20 years ago, most people in the world, all they have to sell is their labor. Mm. Uh, And so a basic income gives you the chance to walk, gives you the chance to say to an employer, who's saying you will work these hours, this zero hours contract. Uh, we'll let you know when we need you. It gives you the power to say, well, actually, no, I'm not happy with that. I'm going to go somewhere else. It buys you time. So you think it would have huge follow-on implications apart from just being like um, like the direct payment to people? You, you think that like it would start to cascade and lead to better working rights for people that are continuing to work and act, uh, all that? Yes, I do. Uh, I know there's a kind of, there is a debate and some people say that, it will cut pay rates and employers will just use it as a kind of employer subsidy to cut pay rates. But obviously, um, a large number of countries in the world do have a minimum a minimum pay rate anyway. Um, but yes, I do. I think its effects will be huge and I think it will take time to see them. Um, but I think I don't think we can imagine what the full effects will actually be. In a good way. In a good way. I hope I hope <laughs> and expect in a good way. And no pilot that's ever been run has showed up anything bad. Well, then talking about pilots, um, we got in contact with you because you're part of the um, UBI lab. Um, I think your one in particular is York. Is that Mine's correct? York, yeah. It's a relatively yeah. new recruit. What kind of um, what kind of a program are you guys trying to get together? And has it sorry has it actually started yet? It depends if, you, if, you, if you're talking about are you talking about pilots here or are you talking about uh, are you talking about well, the campaigning in general and research in general? We'll start with the campaigning and move on to the pilot. Okay. Well, um, the lab network uh, kind of started in, uh, I think, about 2016, 2017, and it started in Sheffield. And it's one of a number of organizations that are campaigning for basic income. We want to test the idea of basic income. Our strategy is to work locally because then we can inform and engage with people from all parts of society. So we're not, we're not a, a kind of national campaign directly targeting Westminster, if you like, in, in the UK. Mm. We're working locally. Uh, and organizing nationally and internationally. 
because we want to talk to people at grassroots level. We also want to talk to local councils who obviously have to sort of run things locally and get them to engage with the idea. So it's kind of a two-pronged approach, really. I mean, I think definitely all the UBI labs have the plan to get their councils to vote, to ask the government, the chancellor, to allow them to run a basic income pilot. Now, three have done that so far in order. I think it was Sheffield, Liverpool, and then in this January, just before the lockdown, it was uh, Hull. And the answer came back every time. It was pretty dusty, no. <laughs> but um, uh, the point is about building momentum. If everybody does it, mm. the idea was before coronavirus that um, you know we'd build pressure, we'd build media attention, and, and, and it would become uh, something that the government couldn't ignore. And COVID mm-hmm. basically has probably compressed about two or three years of work into a few weeks. Speaking of COVID, do you think in the long run, this kind of acceleration into to like taking the whole purview and narrowing it down into a couple of weeks, is that <laughs> going to work to your benefit, you think, in the long run when we see things like what America's doing with, with the those um, checks that are being sent out? Do you see that as, you know, as making a stronger case for UBI? I do. I think that anything, obviously, you've got some, like the Trump government wheeling out checks, they're one off, they ought to get people to spend again or to, uh, to get the economy going again. But I think any set of payments where the government is suddenly bunging money at people, whatever its purpose, that's something that hasn't happened. Certainly in the UK, that has not happened in the past, arguably, well, 15 years, but certainly 10 or 12 years hasn't happened. And the only exception to that was, I don't know, I don't know um, how familiar you are with, with the quantitative easing that happened mm. after the financial crisis in 2008, but that went to big companies, pension funds, banks. It went to big institutions and it didn't get spent. They call that helicopter money, um, but it all went to big institutions and it got saved. It didn't get spent. It didn't get the economy going. If you did that with people, which is what Trump's trying to do in America and what other people are trying elsewhere, then there's a possibility it would get the economy going again. But I think any kind of payment like that is saying, yes, governments can just give people money. It doesn't, it's not the end of the world, you know? Yeah. And so going back to the pilot scheme that you guys are trying to organize, um, what kind of mm-hmm. success have you had in working with the local politicians? Do you see like, um, is there a, a clear party divide between who wants to get on board and who doesn't? That varies and it, it varies according to the city that it's been, uh, as I say, three councils so far um, have said, have said yes to the idea. Uh, so Sheffield, Hull and uh, Liverpool. Liverpool. Now I think in Liverpool, um, I think in Liverpool the Green Party was behind it, but in all cases and in, in Hull it was the Liberal Democrats. And I think in Sheffield it was Labour, but I couldn't swear to that because that was a while ago before I was involved. But in all cases, the councils voted unanimously, which I think is really, really well, helpful. big, yeah. Um, even, even the Tories. Yeah. Nationally, obviously, in the UK, it's a bit of a different picture, but I can talk about that if you like. But um, no, we got they got unanimous agreement because the feeling was that it's something that's worth looking at. Because these are, these are northern cities who have had arguably, you know, the toughest time of it under austerity. Mm-hmm. You've got, if you've got a city, you're going to have people who are very wealthy. You're also going to get large numbers of people who are really, really struggling in deep poverty. And that's why cities are a good place to test the UBI. And it's also why that's, you could argue that they're, they're the sort of places of greatest need. Mm-hmm. And, and is that the ultimate measure of success for you guys getting the, those local councils on board? Like how are you at the local level quantifying your success rates as the lab kind of rolls out these programs? I think, yeah, I think it's it's awareness raising among the community and getting the councils on board. I 
I think getting, I think if you can get the councils on board as quickly as possible, and certainly that was my aim. Uh, I was mm-hmm. kind of working on that in York before the lockdown and before I actually sort of launched UBI Lab York about, uh, well, soft launched it about a month ago. Uh, it's about getting the councils involved because if they, if, if a, the councils are calling for it, obviously people are aware of it in the area. They're like, what's this, what's this UBI thing that the councils are uh, talking about? You get, you get media coverage, you get it talked about. Mm-hmm. And what we want is get people talking about it, get people engaging with it. Even if they say, that's a crap idea. They're still talking about it. Do you find many it. people are saying it's a crap idea? Like the idea of free money, I'm imagining it's a pretty easy sell at the individual <laughs> level. <laughs> yeah, you would think, wouldn't you? Um, I think there's, I think, I think it seems too good to be true to some people. And I think, and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you guys are, you guys are both in Ireland, I'm guessing. Only from I'm actually in London. You're in London. Okay. Yeah. Well, you'll, you'll be aware uh, that there's a kind of, and I don't know if it exists in all European countries, but there's this kind of, Labor, what you'd call a laborist or a workerist ethic here. And some of the biggest enemies of basic income are actually on the left, sometimes within, not all, but sometimes within a trade union movement. And I actually had a little exchange on Twitter with a guy just before I came on. Is that like part of your warm up to get the yeah, blood going like, on Twitter? Get, get fighting, absolutely. And he was 67. And it was an article in the, in the Guardian today or the Observer today, or maybe it's the Guardian tomorrow by a guy called John Harris saying, you know, we've got to look at basic income. And it's one of a large number of articles in national newspapers saying we've got to look at basic income. Even the Financial Times, I don't know if you know, but that came out in favor of trying basic income or looking at basic income a few weeks ago, as did the Pope. Anyway, this guy just said, nah, free money won't work. I'm also giving people a leg up, but free money won't work. There are people that just come out and say, no, it's crap. It's fairy dust because it sounds too good to be true. They can't see how it's going to work. They, they've got this link between a fair day's work, pay for a fair day's work, and, and that's where it rests with them. And I, and I have to emphasize, basic income movement is not for a moment saying that work doesn't matter. What we're saying is that people are measured by their labor. You're worth what you're paid. And if your, pay doesn't get you, if your work doesn't get you any pay, then you're, not, you're worthless. If you're looking after a sick relative, if you're looking after a disabled son, disabled parent. A mother, um, the normal circumstances. You're a mother, exactly. Yeah, there's no pay for that. It's this idea that you're only worth what somebody's willing to pay you, um, that, we're, that we're against. Because an awful lot of work happens that does not get paid. And the, the economy only exists on the unpaid work of people at home looking after kids. And how about, so you've talked about how you guys are linking together in um, Northern England to try and get these labs up and running in the councils. Well, yeah, they're spreading right. I mean, basically, yeah. I say we're not London. Apart from that, uh, we're, we're getting everywhere. There's one in Norwich now. There's one in Birmingham. That's brilliant. One and then what kind of links do you guys have with the um, international scene? Because, I mean, this was um, a big talking point during the 2020 elections in the US or the 2020 nomination race with Andrew Yang bringing it to the table there. And I mean, like uh, it's being mentioned everywhere now. You mentioned the Pope. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he, I mean, he, he's made it huge on the other side of the pond there. And 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 that that pressure has kept up, hasn't it? I mean, there are, people are interested in what the other what other democratic, uh, particularly democratic, but there are some Republicans as well in favour of it. But we in uh, the EBR Lab movement are part of a much broader network, and, and kind of give you an idea. There's a there is a weekly meeting now 
as a weekly Zoom meeting of UBI advocates and UBI networks. It's every Tuesday afternoon, 14.30 GMT, if you want to tune in. In fact, a lot of gangs made it so we're actually more in touch, if anything, because now mm. if you want to have a meeting with your next door neighbor, you've got to do it on Zoom. <laughs> it means that people from India can come drop in on our meetings now, whereas they probably wouldn't have thought of doing that before. Yeah. And the network does actually have a branch in Bucharest and a branch in Jakarta. Yeah, so there's two oh, wow. there's two two of our members are international. Yeah, we are completely in touch with other advocates and it's it's really building a sort of cohesive momentum. How likely do you think we're going to see UBI within the next 10 years in the UK? I think that in the UK uh, if the UK includes uh, Scotland... Might not then. <laughs> <laughs> if we're including Scotland in the UK, then I think it is quite likely that there'll be a UBI in Scotland in the next 10 years. But I think that will probably happen after they've gone and um, declared independence. The place will be absolutely right. packed with Man- Man- Manchurians and Liverpoolites and everyone storming up into Glasgow. Well, um, you know, I like a game of golf, so I'm quite tempted <laughs> to skip up there. If it all goes... If it all goes <laughs> if it all goes south, as you might say, uh, in these parts, then I, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a million miles on the border. So yeah, um, yeah I think I think in Scotland it's a very interesting situation. Very briefly, uh, UBI can be is being or could be being used as a bargaining chip by Nicola Sturgeon to sort of. You can have it two ways. Either they get independence and they offer basic income as part of the sort of sweetener for independence to the citizens. Or they say to Rishi Sunak, we want to try basic income up here. He says no. She says, well, you don't tell us what to do. We're off. It's good politics. It's great. It's fantastic politics, uh, but it's also fantastic for basic income. So if, if people like the sound of everything they've heard from you now, what would you recommend their next step would, steps would be in terms of learning more or maybe even one step further getting involved? So you can get involved in the UBI community Facebook page. If you live in a city where there's already a UBI lab, and there are 14 of them now, as I say, as of today, 12 in, in, in England. There are other organisations as well as Basic Income Southeast, for example, you can imagine where that is. If you want to set up your local organisation, if you're even keener, UBI Lab Network will help you do that. There's loads and loads. Of, I can send you a stack of links. That'd be amazing. And they'll, I'll be in the show notes. So what else, did, what else are people going to be doing in the lockdown? Well, indeed. I Everyone. mean, we're all, I mean, we are, we are all over the social media and, and there's about 24 WhatsApp groups going constantly. Yeah. I think there's an awful lot of activity at the moment. Uh, and it's, and it's good for basic income. And I hope it will be, I think, hope in the end, this awful, awful situation will be good for people as a whole, because they will see there's another way to do things. That's a great way to end it. I think that's a, yeah, it's a lovely note to end on. Steve, thank you so much for your time. It's a joy. Nice talking Amazing. to you, chaps. All right. Thanks, Steve. So in short, free money good, yes? Ubi good. Ubi good. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 like you said, I hope we see it at least in the next 10 years. And Scotland's yeah. like a hopeful thing um, that we can keep an eye on, I guess. But yeah, free money good. Yeah, I mean, and also like that sounds reductive, but you know, lifting up the, all of society financially is is fucking great. I think it would change how I live my life. Yeah, me too. Absolutely, it, it, like it gives you the freedom to pursue, you know, d- different like career changes. I might not feel before, or you know, to, the the ability even for we haven't touched this for some people to spend more time with their kids. You know, maybe they take we might see more uh, four day weeks rather than yeah. you know five day weeks, which you know there's a lot of research to show that people would benefit from a four day week over a five day week so maybe it would allow that freeing up time to spend with your family or on your own well-being or on mental health or all those kind of there's a whole bunch of benefits that we haven't touched on um, but if you look at Steve's um, recommendations which I'll include in the show notes hopefully you'll start to see the breadth 
of, of effect that you Ubi can have on the world. He's not going to appreciate us calling it Ubi. He's not going to anyway. <laughs> All the hard work they're doing. <laughs> Undone. You can follow the Ubi Labs at those links. Um, mm-hmm. For us, you can follow us. Where, Richie? Uh, at Wild on Politics on Instagram, on Twitter. Or whatampolitics at gmail.com if you want to send us an email you, you want to send us a topic suggestion we're more than happy to hear about that find us on Bebo find us on Bebo please let us know if you do because that would be devastating <laughs> if someone's <laughs> starting god almighty Bebo uh, you can friend us on Friendster um, pin us what's the what's the location one that used to be around people pin in their uh, places Foursquare Foursquare is that still around you can for us on Foursquare <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if it is uh, Geocache I don't know Pokemon Go so you can catch us in Pokemon Go if you go find uh, just and you know, there's like rare Pokemon and that if you look re- if you go into really really remote parts of Kildare um, you'll find a Richie and oh god if you can catch him <sighs> Steve but as we've evidenced in this episode um, there are fucking Steves everywhere so you're gonna Steve's find everywhere. you're gonna Can't. find Steve everywhere oh, yeah open your window throw a rock you'll hit Steve you'll hit a Steve uh, and I'd encourage you to do that um, <laughs> if you want to buy us a beer whatampolitics.com forward slash beer we'll appreciate um, it yeah, we would appreciate that. It'll be a takeout beer because the pubs are closed, but we would definitely appreciate that. I got to hit the road, uh, Richie. I got some meat smoking. You hit the road? I hope it's within a five kilometer radius of your house. I metaphorically have to hit the road and end this episode recording because I got a meat smoking. Oh, okay. You're going to your back garden and smoke some meat. It's a euphemism for masturbating. <laughs> well, what do you do in your back garden? Masturbate. I anyway, mean, but I'm an alien. So <laughs> <laughs> that's how we well, do it. Well, I'm an it. alcoholic. So. Murderer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Goodbye, Steve. Bye, Richie. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.